Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Our episode today is a Bible study, a Bible study that I've put together on Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43. This is that famous story of Jairus' daughter, but then also sandwiched in the middle of that story is the story of the hemorrhaging woman. Both of these are pretty well-known miracles of Jesus, and we always read them together like this. So I've prepared a Bible study for you today where we go through a lot of the details. It's a really rich uh, section of scripture, the way that these stories combine and kind of highlight some pretty neat ideas about our life of faith and about the ways and power of Jesus. So uh, we'll get into it in one second, just before I turn it over to myself to lead the Bible study. Um, Thanks for listening, as always. Thanks for your continued support of the podcast. Please continue to tell friends and family, share the links, share the URLs, or let people know uh, that your church is putting together these different podcasts to try and help you in your faith on the days between Sundays. Uh, That's the whole point, is that people will be inspired and uplifted in their daily walk of faith. Uh, As always, thanks for your support and for listening, for sharing and subscribing, all those good things. Let's get into it now, though. Here's a Bible study for you. Here we go with a Bible study on Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43. This is the assigned gospel reading for June 27th, 2021. I'll be preaching the sermon that day. And so in order to get myself prepped for my sermon, but also just to give those listeners out there who might be interested a whole bunch more detail than could ever fit in a sermon, I'm going to lead you through a Bible study of this section of scripture. It's a really interesting combination of stories, and there's a lot of good details that we can pull out of it. Once again, we encounter within this passage that famous Mark sandwich that I've talked about before. Mark does this a lot. It's called the chiastic form, where there's a couple of stories, and then there's usually a story kind of inserted in the middle, and the meaning is in the middle. It's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because it's peanut butter and jelly that's sandwiched between the two pieces of bread. That's where the meaning is. Otherwise, it's just pieces of bread. Same idea with this Mark passage. We get this one story that plays out, uh, but in the midst of that story playing out, there's this other story that's inserted right into the middle, and it brings greater meaning. Uh, and, and adds to the drama, you're going to see what I'm talking about. We should probably just get into it. Just a couple of little pieces for you to know in terms of context before we get into the scripture passage itself. This is Mark chapter 5, verse 20, starting at verse 21. And what has happened previous to this in Mark's gospel is right before this moment, Jesus casts out demons. The beginning of Mark chapter 5 is Jesus casting out some demons. Okay, that's interesting. You know, Jesus showing his power over demons. Cool. But then right before that, at the end of Mark chapter 4, Jesus calms the storm in the sea. You know that passage. We heard it just a week ago. So you get the idea. Jesus has been shown in Mark's gospel to have command and power over nature. He's been shown to have command and power over demons. But now this passage is very much so about Jesus's power being manifest in terms of compassion for other human beings. It's Jesus's healing powers, yes, and eventually his power over death itself even. 
but it also in both stories that we encounter here shows Jesus's real human side in the ways that he cares for the real needs of these two individuals who are very lowly in terms of the hierarchy of that day. So there's a little bit of the background information. The cool part about these two stories that we'll see, there's a ton of parallels. It's very clear that they were meant to be sandwiched together and that Mark wrote them down in such a way so that we would start to notice some of the similarities and the juxtaposition of the two. But let's get right into it. We start at Mark chapter 21. And just like I usually do, I'll read you one or two verses and then I'll stop to say a whole bunch about it. And then we'll get back to a verse or two more. So this is Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. So this first verse helps set the stage for us, and it reminds us, oh yeah, Jesus was out at the sea. Uh, he had recently just calmed the storm, and now he's crossing to the other side. And geographically, what that means, what scholars have pieced together, is that Jesus is crossing to the Jewish side of town, the Jewish side of the sea. And that's a really important detail because of some of the characters that we're going to meet and some of the details about these characters that we need to consider. If he wasn't in a Jewish part of town, well, Jesus is going to encounter this woman with a bleeding disorder. If he was in another side of town, that wouldn't have been as big of a deal. But of course, within Judaism, a bleeding disorder made you richly unclean. So this is, in any way, Mark just setting the stage with those details. Jesus is by the sea. The crowds are gathering. He's very popular. Yes, we know. Um, And he's in the Jewish part of town. So let's move on to verse 22 and 23. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly. My little girl is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. As soon as Jesus gets off the boat, we immediately encounter this Jewish man. Like I was saying, it's the Jewish part of town. He's the leader of the synagogue. So that would have made Jairus a really important guy. He likely would have had servants who could have been the ones to go and fetch Jesus for him. But it shows us that Jairus is absolutely desperate and deeply concerned with the health of his daughter because he's the one that shows up. He's the one that asks Jesus to come and heal her. He's the one who falls at his feet and repeatedly asks him, And it also conveys Jairus's faith. He is a man who believes that Jesus is one who could bring healing to his daughter. Additionally, what he says in there in verse 23 is he says, my little daughter. And that language really indicates his immense fondness for this girl. It's not just his daughter, it's his little daughter. It's really, you know, showing the emotional weight that Jairus is feeling at this moment um, and that he has this immense affection for this girl. And that's important. This whole story has a real emotional tenor to it and an emotional character to it that is Mark trying to convey to us, trying to help us understand that Jesus was this type of compassionate person who who understood the deep emotional needs of the people around him and responded to those needs. Uh, in the previous stories and miracles, we haven't really seen that from Jesus. When he's casting out demons, when he's calming the sea, there's not that level of humanity and compassion portrayed, at least within Mark's gospel. So we're getting a piece of that here. But let's move on now to verse 24. So Jesus went with Jairus, and a large crowd followed him and pressed 
in on him. Okay, so now the story is shifting in this verse 24. Jesus is with going with Jairus to his, you know, care for his daughter. So he's got a mission. Jesus has a mission and it's very important. It's for the leader of the synagogue who is desperate for help with his daughter. But there's this now complete shift. We, we hear about these crowds pressing in on him. And we sense, yeah, Jesus is very popular. People want to see him. But we also sense that these crowds are making his mission difficult. Maybe he can't move as quickly as he would need to because there's just so many people around him. And yet he's got to get there to Jairus' daughter because she's very, very sick. So then look what happens in verse 25. This is where now that second story kind of gets inserted into the middle of our first story. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. The woman's bleeding condition, like I said, would have made her ritually unclean. This is an important detail. She's not just sick, but she is sick in such a way that it would have put her completely on the outskirts of the community. We also learn that this woman has been suffering for 12 years. And later on in the passage in verse 42, we learn that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. And so these little details create a parallel between the two stories that we're hearing all at once. And the parallels obviously seek to highlight the link between those two women, the the young girl and this woman who's been hemorrhaging. But additionally, it allows us and invites us to think about the our relationship with time, which, you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, I love time. But what's fascinating, we hear about Jairus's daughter, who's only 12 years old and yet is on the brink of death. And we just think 12 years is far too short of a life for anyone. That's not enough time. But then on the flip side, we hear about this women, woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years, and we think about what an incredibly long period of time that is, that she's had to deal with this and, and suffer through it for a decade, more than a decade. And so it invites us, again, to just kind of consider our relationship with time, and that's really powerful as well when we think about the promises of God that are eternal. And so it's a good reminder that, yes, there are ups and downs in this life. There are really difficult periods and seasons of life. But Jesus's victory over death, which we'll hear about later on in this passage, that eternal promise that God has made to us, it will be so much bigger and more important and more paramount in our eternal life than anything that takes place here on earth. So it's this really neat little relationship, this interplay that's happening, just with that subtle detail of 12 years that we get right here um, in meeting this woman on the pathway. Okay, so let's move on to verse 26. It says, She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. We learn that this woman who's been suffering for 12 years, has been trying to find a cure. And she needs a cure so that she can be restored to her community. It's not just that she wants to be done with this bleeding disorder, but remember, it would have put her outside of all Jewish life because no one would be allowed to touch her or go near her. She wouldn't have been allowed to participate in the ritual, the religious gatherings, any of that because of her bleeding disorder. 
And so she, in searching for a cure, has lost all of her money. No physician has been able to help her. And so Mark has really set up the details of this character in just these two verses. This is a woman, which in that patriarchal society would have been a, a lower place within the societal order. Additionally, she has a bleeding disorder, which would have put her outside the religious community because she would have been richly unclean. And we now learn she's poor. She has no money because she spent it all on physicians. So she has all of these strikes against her. She is the most vulnerable of the vulnerable. And yet this is going to be the person who Jesus pays attention to. It's really powerful the way that Mark has set this up with all of these details stacked against her and then makes her a key person in the story. So let's see what happens next. In verse 27, the woman had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. The woman is obviously extremely desperate, much like Jairus was desperate at the beginning. And so she has heard about Jesus and thinks that he can heal her. So she just sneaks up behind him to touch his cloak. She believes that Jesus has some sort of magical power and simply touching his garment will bring healing. Then let's find out what happens. Let's look at verse 29. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. It's funny, this woman's superstition actually works. She's immediately healed by her actions. Up until this point in the story, the entire event has all of these markings of a magical action. The woman touches an object, Jesus' cloak, and she perceives that this object has magical qualities, and she is, in fact, healed. And so if the story stopped there, it would be this story of the magical powers of Jesus. But Jesus's abilities to heal takes on a slightly different angle and that's part of the whole point of this story it's about the as i said in the beginning the humanity and the compassion of jesus not just his magical abilities but now let's look at jesus's reaction verse 30 immediately aware that power had gone forth from him jesus turned about in the crowd and said who touched my clothes this verse makes the important point that it was a magical object that caused the healing, but rather it, it wasn't a magical object, but it was the power flowing out of Jesus into his cloak to heal the woman. Furthermore, notice how Jesus wants to immediately make a personal connection to the woman. He is not just content with walking through the crowd and magically healing people as he walks by. He wants to actually find this person. That might seem like I'm stretching there, but we have to remember, Jesus was on a really important mission at this point in time. He needed to get to Jairus' daughter. Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, sought him out and wanted him to come heal his daughter. And so Jesus is on this important, time-sensitive mission, but when he feels the power go out from him, he's not just content with like allowing that healing to happen. He wants to pause to personally connect with the woman who was healed. This is an important reminder just for our lives of ministry and following Jesus too, is that sometimes we're interrupted. We can't just be so caught up in our task or our project at hand that we don't stop to show compassion for the people around us who might really need it. 
we don't stop to bring healing to those people in our midst that God has placed there. I did a sermon once all about interruptions using this passage, but I think that that's a really important point to take from it. Jesus was always willing to be interrupted. He was never too busy or in too important of a position to not stop and care for those people that came across his path. It's the same case here. Okay, let's move along now to verse 31. The disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? (laughs) Once again, the disciples don't seem to really understand all that's going on. This is a common theme in Mark. The disciples are often pretty ignorant of Jesus's mission and his power. And again, that's what happens here. It's funny because the woman, the hemorrhaging woman, believed in Jesus's power. But the disciples seem to be ignorant of it. This verse further solidifies the point, too that there were great crowds pressing in on Jesus. That's kind of what the disciples are saying. Like, are you crazy? Like, everybody's touching you. What do you mean? But that's because they don't fully understand what's going on here in the way that that hemorrhaging woman did. So we come back to the text now, verse 32 and 33. Jesus looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the truth. The woman has already been healed. She could have just gone on her way, but she also seeks out Jesus. There's a, a level of fear to it. She feels like, you know, maybe she stole the power from him and that Jesus might be upset by this action. And, and clearly you can kind of start to envision the scene and why Jesus it might have seemed that way. He's looking around, who touched me? And he's looking and searching the crowd to find out who it was. And so she's afraid that she's going to be cursed or that she'll get in even more trouble. So she comes before him and confesses all that's gone on. It's her faith in Jesus that compelled her to act originally. And now it's a, a fear of Jesus and a wanting to be truthful about what happened that brings her before him again. And so all of this is kind of changing the moment. This is no longer a magic trick or some, you know, woman touching a magical cloak and being instantly healed. It's now becoming a moment of holistic healing because there's a relational connection. Jesus is seeking out this woman and the woman is afraid of what's happening. There's so many emotions swirling within this. And so look what happens in verse 34. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So the woman has already been healed, but Jesus adds that piece of go in peace, which is the word shalom. Shalom is a word that means peace in a lot of different ways, but it's not just like, oh, be at peace, like be peaceful sitting by a river. Shalom is something mentioned in the Old Testament where God has a hope of shalom for the whole world, a a rightness with all of creation. It's very big and broad and holistic. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying to this woman, your faith has made you well. Her faithful actions of seeking out Jesus and then admitting her fear and coming before Jesus, her willingness to be in relationship with Jesus, all of that is what promotes and prompts the healing to take place. And now she is granted peace, go in peace and be healed of your disease. Because what Jesus has offered her too is something very holistic. She is now not only healed from her disease, but she's also able to rejoin the society. 
that has shunned her for the last 12 years. She is experiencing a healing that is not just physical, but that is social and emotional as well. And that's, again, all of what this passage is getting at is this real human element to Jesus. He not only can calm the seas and cast out the demons, but he can allow a woman who who, who was on the complete outskirts of all of society, he can view her with compassion and bring real healing and wholeness to her life. And so now our reading is thrust back into that original scene with Jairus. We pick that story back up. This is the end point now, the other side of the sandwich, shall we say. So we read in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from Jairus's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. We're thrust back into this previous narrative. It, you know, Jesus is still speaking. And then we're reminded like, oh yeah, he was supposed to be somewhere else and he's too late. <laughs> but the Jesus, um, we're thrust back and we were given this reminder though, that Jesus has just attended to this nameless woman while he was supposed to be on this important journey for Jairus. And the advisors to Jairus are ones that come along and they portray a lack of faith. It's this real quick um, uh, um, and really uh, slammed together juxtaposition because you have the woman's faith making her well and now Jairus's advisors not believing that Jesus can do anything for her. And so the, Jesus kind of rebukes them and, and brings comfort at the same moment to Jairus, words that kind of summarize his actions with the woman. Do not fear, only believe. Remember the woman approached Jesus with fear and trembling. And now Jesus is reminding Jairus, hey, don't be afraid about all this. Don't listen to what your advisors are saying. Everything's going to be okay. Just simply have faith and believe that real healing can take place. It's a very comforting, uh, ministering phrase that Jesus is offering there because he, you can think that Jairus would have been completely without hope at that point in time. His advisors are saying like, yeah, it's over. You know, you've got no chance. You, You were too late. But Jesus is still providing hope for that man at that moment. So then here's what happens next in verse 37. Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So these are the three disciples that Jesus also will allow to witness the resurrection, or these are the three disciples that Jesus will allow to witness the transfiguration, I should say, later in Mark 9. And they're also the three disciples who will join Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he is betrayed by Judas. So this is his inner circle, and these are the three that really seem to get to witness who Jesus actually is, where the full extent of his powers. That transfiguration was a really powerful and important moment. And the fact that those three were able to see it meant that they kind of understood, okay, Jesus is the son of God. We assume that and bring that to this text as we read it, but not everyone in those days would have known or assumed it. But his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, they knew because of the transfiguration that Jesus was the son of God. And they get a glimpse of just the full extent of Jesus's power here in this passage as they go with Jesus to Jairus's daughter, who we just learned is dead. Okay, so now we pick it up in verse 38. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people wailing and weeping loudly. 
When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. So I stopped there at the beginning of verse 40. So when Jesus finally arrives, people are well into the grieving process. And in fact, they mock him for believing that, you know, something can be done. They uh, have so much unbelief in Jesus's power. They're, you know, assumed that this is all over. And that's part of setting up the tension of this story. Not only that, but this detail also was there to underline the point. Like, the girl was actually dead. This wasn't a missed diagnosis. It was just that Jesus um, really does have power over the forces of death in the world. So then here's what happens next. Then Jesus put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And Jesus took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. And Jesus strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Okay, I read a lot there, and I probably should have broken this up into some more details because there's a lot of details in that little section. So Jesus makes everyone leave because there's a secretive element. Jesus doesn't want people to fully understand all that he's capable of. Throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus is secretive or he'll order people like, don't tell anyone what you've seen. Um, And so that's kind of what's happening here. And then what Jesus does is he grabs the girl by the hand and immediately she gets up. It's again another parallel to that hemorrhaging woman. Just as the woman was immediately healed when she touched Jesus' cloak, Jesus, by holding the little girl's hand, immediately restores her to life. So then Jesus again offers an instruction. (laughs) Uh, And he tells, you know, strictly ordered them not to tell anyone about this, further you know, promoting that secretive element. Obviously, they were going to tell people, but Jesus kind of wants to keep his power secret before until he can accomplish his true purpose. That's what he really wants to do. And so, Jesus then um, continues to portray a real human side to things, too. This is a little girl, and just having that phrase is such a powerful moment because it brings us all the way back to Jairus's, my little daughter is sick, the the deep emotional need that he had at the beginning of this story. And that's how Jesus calls her forth too. He, he has that same level of compassion and care for this small child. And then um, the other piece just at the end, which feels like this added on detail, but Jesus says, oh, give her something to eat. And there's a lot of different ways you can interpret it. One is to just say, right, like ghosts do not eat food. So maybe that's what Jesus was saying is like, look, this this little girl is not a ghost. She can eat food. But there's also the compassionate side to this. Jesus understands that this little girl has physical needs. This wasn't just some sort of magic miracle. You know, it's not just like the woman touched the coke and she was made well. It's not just like Jesus touched her hand and she was made well. There's a human side to all of this, a, a relational side to all of this story that's so important and that really underlies the whole thing. The woman who was hemorrhaging was outside of relationship with her community, and that's part of what Jesus restored. This little girl was the apple of her father's eye, 
and Jesus restored her to life for her sake, but also for the sake of her family who loved her so deeply and fully. That's the type of God that Jesus is, not just one who has magical powers and command of nature and casting out demons and healing, but Jesus has the power over death itself. And Jesus has this incredible, compassionate heart wanting to bring real, holistic healing to the lives of all those who trust in him. Because that's really what this whole faith undercurrent in this passage is about, too. Faith is what makes you well. Jairus' deep faith that Jesus could do something. The woman's deep faith that simply touching Jesus' cloak could bring healing. When we trust in Jesus fully and, and enter fully into relationship with him, there is real holistic healing that can take place in our life as well. We become transformed ourselves into better versions of who we once were simply because of the compassion and love of Jesus, the way that it reforms and reshapes us. It's really interesting because the next chapter, Mark chapter 6, Jesus will go to Nazareth and will encounter incredible unbelief there. And, and he'll perform no miracles. This idea of having faith, uh, allowing and unlocking the miraculous nature of Jesus, that seems to be a real theme within Mark's gospel. Obviously, it's always Jesus who has the power, but it's our individual trust in that power, trust in that way that Jesus works. Uh, that is um, where a lot of healing and wholeness can take place. So whew, there you go. What a story, right? Actually, two stories in one. Jairus's daughter, the hemorrhaging woman, they all fit together. And that's why we always read it in this way. Whenever this story comes up within the church calendar, that's the way that it gets read, is that you read them both kind of at once, not just one at a time. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this Bible study. Hope you learned something new and have some new ways to think about this. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay in peace.